Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top-level COOs share the insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Miranda Levers, the co-founder and COO at Thinkific. Super excited to actually talk to you today. And I actually didn't recognize or realize that you were the co-founder. So that's an even better part of the story. I didn't realize that until just this second. But um, I love that component to it as well. How did you guys start uh, Thinkific? Where did it come from? Where did you meet Greg? And um, kind of give me the helicopter tour. Awesome. Excited to be here, Cameron. Yeah. So, um Okay, where do I even start? So I, I'm a co-founder. I'm a late co-founder. Greg uh, started uh, the business originally. Greg was uh, is our founder, Greg Smith, and he was originally a lawyer and he was teaching LSAT courses on the side in classrooms for a number of years. Uh, eventually decided to put his course online and what he found was as much as people were interested in taking his course and his, co- his own course continues to do quite well, he had a lot of people coming to him and asking him to help them create and put their own courses online. So he hit up his brother, Matt, um, who was a developer to uh, put together sort of the early, early version of Thinkific and they were originally helping people put their courses online and marketing them for them and so on and so forth and were, were investing into the software side of things. Um, they were joined by another match just to be confusing um, okay. through that process and had pivoted a couple of times, but we're just kind of the, like the three of them um, trying to figure out how to, you know, how to turn this uh, product idea into a company. Yeah. And um, around that time, I had had a lifestyle business with my husband for a number of years and was bored stiff. And I had just, you know, as any entrepreneur does when they are bored, within a year, I um, had a baby and started my MBA because that's what you do when you're bored. And then I was either going to start another company or find somebody doing something really cool. Now, I really loved small business and I had done a lot of small business consulting, but I found that small business owners um, didn't know that they needed consultants or help. And even if they did know that, they couldn't afford it. And right. so, you know, so I, I knew that consulting or things like that weren't for me. Um, but I was uh, in some, you know, startup sort of circles, just starting to put out feelers to figure out who was, who was doing what and seeing if there was anything interesting. Greg reached out to me um, there and we met for coffee. Uh, and I instantly was excited about the potential of a platform that could allow small business owners and entrepreneurs to create and deliver their courses and put them online. At that point, like the idea was just sort of like the idea was there to sort of pivot into SaaS. Customers could not yet pay for the product. There was no such thing as a customer on Thinkific at that time who had um, gotten there without uh, Greg actually like setting them up for them, but they basically, they did have the, like the beginning, you know, software there, but basically got really excited about what they were doing. Um, joined ship, the four of us, you know, sort of sitting around the table and, uh, and that was just about four years ago. And now we're a team of 70 employees. What, yeah, what got you, and I love the growth, what got you <laughs> excited? I mean, it certainly wasn't the fact that he was a lawyer. Um, but- <laughs> What got you excited? I love Greg, but what got you excited about the the products being such early stage? I have a horrible judgment of early stage companies. I told the founder of Uber that it was a dumb idea, and um, <laughs> I, I could go on. And I told the founder of One Eight Hundred Got Junk he could never franchise. Um, so I have a really bad track record at, at judging 
uh, what's going to be successful. How did you, did you know it was going to be successful or did you like the idea? What was it that, that, that you saw at, I guess, such an early stage? You know, that's such a funny question because to be very honest with you, it just, and, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs sometimes say this, like it yeah. honestly never even crossed my mind or occurred to me that it wouldn't and couldn't be successful. Like to me, it was always just a foregone conclusion that, um, you know, I met, I met Greg, like I knew what he was building. I, I saw that potential and I knew that the market was there and hungry for it. I knew that I had, you know, experience. I'd always been around technology, but, uh, you know, not a lot of people have and knowing that if we could make online business easier for people, that that was just natural fit. Um, and it just, it didn't even occur to me that there might be trials or tribulations or any reason for it to not be successful. In my mind, it was just like, okay, great. Let, let, let's roll up our sleeves and get to work and what needs to be done next. Now, learning management systems have been around for probably 20 years and there must have been other competitors out there already. You weren't the first to market, were you? Or were you? Not at all. Yeah, not at all. Um, not when it comes to learning management systems, but I think that what was really exciting about um, what we were doing then and what we continue to do is the fact that it was available and accessible to the entrepreneur and the small business owner. The traditional LMSs were platforms designed for companies to deliver education to their internal um, employee body or for universities to be delivering to their students. And so you're talking about these like massive enterprise. They're complicated too. Yeah, they're complicated. And like you certainly, there's certainly no free um, free plan or $49 a month plan, just completely inaccessible, both uh, from a dollar standpoint and just from a complexity standpoint to a entrepreneur and online business owner. And so from a, like from that perspective, we were definitely one of, one of the first to market. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I actually had um, my executive assistant and my director of ops both had done a bunch of research for me about 18 months ago, looking at different platforms that I was going to use for my course. And Thinkific was the one that both of them independently came and rose to the top with. And then surprisingly, I ended up at a, a mastermind called Mastermind Talks and turned around and there was Greg and we were talking about it and I kind of recognized the name and went back to my assistant the next day and she goes, yeah, that's who we're thinking of using. And it was just like, I was like, wow, that, that was easy. Uh, <laughs> awesome. So, yeah. W- what is it about, what have you guys done to, to keep it so simple? And, and I've always, I've always tried to keep business clean, simple, fast, and easy. So what have you guys done that's, that's done that to kind of orbit the giant hairball? Yeah, that's a good question. I think like one of the things that we try to be really um, conscious of is who our customer is. And, uh, and we battle this sometimes even internally where there's sort of like this natural shift in excitement where it's like, like, Oh, like some, you know, like a really big company wants to use us or is checking us out. But the recognition that that's actually not the path that we want to go down. We really believe in the, in the SMB. So it's primarily our customer base, our independent um, entrepreneurs and small businesses and companies. But um, you know, a large company for us is somebody like Hootsuite. Hootsuite uses us to deliver their social media education. But um, when you get into like big enterprise, that's not our customer. And so one of the things that we've really just tried to remember is that and remembering what are the needs of the small business? What are the needs of um, the customers that we are trying to serve? And we do that in two ways, both by listening to them and giving them what they want and often more importantly, giving them what they need and they don't know to ask for. Okay. So you mentioned Hootsuite and Ryan Holmes, another big, you know, Vancouver success story. You guys are based up in Vancouver, Canada, but you're 
your clients are all over the world, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, and Hootsuite's not a small company. They've got probably 500 employees approximately. Or I, I, yeah, I think about double that quite a bit. Is it double yeah. already? Okay. I led their strategic planning for them three years ago and, and um, they've done an extraordinary job with driving towards profitability. So, But would they be then a larger client for you? Yeah, so I would say that they're definitely on the on the like the large end for us. Okay. Absolutely. And, and that's as high as you want to go, right? You are really targeting the small medium enterprise? Yeah, uh, with like the only caveat there is that sometimes um, there are, you know, departments at larger companies where what we need what we deliver off the shelf is actually a good fit for them. I think that the difference is is that uh, often the enterprise needs get into like really custom stuff where it's not just about taking what we have off the shelf, but a requirement to then do custom development work to integrate with their proprietary systems or change the functionality of the platform. And that's where we draw the line. So I would say that we actually like, we technically do have some larger companies um, using us, but they're using our off the shelf solution. And so that's the ideal target. But most of our company, our, most of our customers fall into that the small to medium. Got it. Makes sense. Now you, you talk at the speed of a normal entrepreneur um, and, and you and I are probably wired more similarly than most COOs are as well. I'm very entrepreneurial, but I definitely see things in reverse. What do you think gives you the skills to both be entrepreneurial or an entrepreneur and then also be that second in command? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. You know, um, I think that I, oh, I don't even know how to answer that. You know, I, uh, I definitely love being an individual contributor and I love, you know, I can diving in and rolling up my sleeves and figuring out what problems need to be solved and just heading straight forward in terms of solving them. Um, but uh, at the same time, I also just love and I'm fairly fascinated by business and systems and processes. And this is why, you know, like when I was sure, like when I had a baby, I was like, okay, now what? Like, let's do my MBA for fun. Like I wasn't doing it for a career. I was just like, oh, this will be fun <laughs> oh, um, yeah. because I am fascinated. And I think I, you know, I've always been fascinated uh, by the processes and the systems and like how you connect things and make it work. And so I think that those two factors um, have worked well so far is that the entrepreneurial just get shit done side and also the puzzle of how do you make it scalable so that it doesn't require you to be the person getting the stuff done. Okay. So how do you uncouple the puzzle? What do you kind of give us some, some examples of what, what you see as puzzles and how you uncouple them in the business? Hmm. Yeah. I think like, how do you make the complicated uncomplicated? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. It's so funny because I carry around a notebook and I try not to take notes, but it's if you were to flip through it, you would see that it's entirely full of diagrams. And so mm. one of the things that I you know really just rely on is trying to understand how things fit together and how we can simplify and also um, find the paths or the patterns through that maybe are not as um, as obvious. And so as you scale, so like as a company now, we're 70 people. A year ago, we were 35 people. And the reality is, is that every time that you um, add on, like, I mean, like we've doubled the size of our company is the processes and the systems that worked at 35 people just don't work at 70 people. And so trying to watch for uh, the signs of cracks. So like where are the balls dropping? And the answer is generally not that the people are dropping them. The answer is that there's a missing process or system or something that was previously yep. there isn't working anymore and yep. and really trying to dive in and talking to the people that know um, one of the things that I really believe and and one of the you know the ways that I think we've 
built our company is I believe that it's, it's my job and it's our job as leaders to hire people smarter than we are at the things that they do best and to remove, to do everything in our power to remove the roadblocks and the impediments to them doing their best work. And so I see my job then in the same way as like when you, when I see problems or balls dropped um, to not go in and prescribe the solution, but go in and try to help the people who are actually involved uncover what is working, what isn't working, let's diagram it, let's map it out, um, what ideas are on the table, how do we test out potential solutions to this problem and involve everybody in the process of making um, the new improvement or the new system because that's the only way, number one, to get buy-in, but also that answer and the outcome of those conversations um, is always going to be better than anything I could come up with on my own. I love that you're looking for the cracks. Michael Gerber, who wrote The E-Myth, talked about people don't fail, systems fail. And, and I've always said that if somebody drops a ball, it's not a bad thing. It just means they're either carrying too many balls or they don't know how to carry the balls. Or it could be an interviewing system, right? We, maybe it was an interviewing system that we brought in the wrong person. But I think you uncovered something else, which is every time the company doubles in size, you really have at risk the people in the organization being lapped in their job. And yeah. it's, it's our job as leaders to grow people first and foremost. So, um, you know, at 1-800-GOT-JUNK, we had, when I was the chief operating officer there, I took up them from 14 employees at the head office to 3,100 employees system-wide when I left six and a half years later. Wow. It, it was ridiculous. Yeah, we, we doubled six years in a row at 100% revenue growth. And you just get to a point where people just can't, you know, the head of marketing after three doubles just can't be the head of marketing anymore. Like it's, the company is just so different. So how do you, how do you grow people or how have you been growing people you know, up till now and what do you think you'll be doing or what do you plan to be doing differently? Um, you know, over the next two years, as I'm, I'm guessing you're probably going to double this year and you'll double again next year. So yeah, good question. Yeah. I think that this is something I, I, I would actually say this is sort of like an apt week to ask me that question. We're just <laughs> going through our very first um, annual performance review process. And so that's one of those things where like definitely some companies don't yet have really formal systems around that at a team of this size, but the recognition that we need to have that um, in order to grow. And so right now we're really just in the phase of like, you know what, let's have really candid, open, honest conversations. Let's get, let's build into our culture, a culture of feedback. And like the expectation is, is that we're all giving and getting feedback um, so that we can talk about what's wrong and, and where we need to, we need to solve problems. Um, we have had a lot of internal movement, definitely, especially people coming in, for example, to support, uh, like our customer support team is a really great, uh, you know, starting point into the company because the people who know and understand our customers the best are then uh, the best suited to move into roles on our product team or marketing team or anywhere else in the company. We've definitely done that. Um, but then the flip side of your question around, you know, the ability to level up at the speed that the, the team is leveling up, we, that's also, you know, caused us problems and sort of bitten us on the ass um, a little bit in the past. And so, you know, the, like, from a very practical standpoint, um, I'm pretty, like, it's hard to get a, like, a, a title handed out by me at this point. Like, I, I am hesitant to bring somebody in with, um, you know, some of those hierarchy implying titles because as you said somebody who is a really great director of marketing now for a team of this size um, the, it's challenging if not impossible for that person to level up at the like 
to what is re actually required to sort of match the company um, as we grow. So trying to have open and honest conversations, trying to build in place those like the performance reviews and also development conversations, um, being a little bit careful about establishing hierarchy when I think it's sort of premature to do that. And then um, talking a lot about what roles people see themselves growing into as we grow and how to specialize uh, is also part of that. Yeah, it's interesting. It's almost more in favor of looking at what responsibilities people can handle versus what titles they want. Um, I've been I've been on a rant for the last year, and and I've probably been feeling it for the last ten years. But for the last year, I've just been publicly ranting about the fact that so many companies have given out very very inflated titles for no need. You know, you've got a, a chief marketing officer of a you know fifty person company. The reality is it's probably a marketing manager or a director of marketing at best. It's certainly not a VP of marketing and it's definitely not a chief marketing officer. Mm -hmm. you know, or, or in the finance department, you've got a chief financial officer, but when it, maybe it's more like a controller or a director of finance or a finance manager or a VP of finance. And the bigger we give out the titles, the more responsibility people think they have, the more senior they feel their role is, the faster they want to build this little empire underneath themselves. And they also get a very, very inflated sense of what their, their worth is financially because they go out on websites like Indeed or you know, talk to recruiters. They go, oh, I'm a chief financial officer. Oh, well, then you're a $250,000 role. Well, no, I'm not really a chief <laughs> financial officer. I'm more like a head of finance of a $3 million company. Well, that changes yeah. everything. Yeah. So I, think, I think you're smart with um, A, keeping the org chart clear for a while, but also just being very careful with titles. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about a little bit about the skill development then at your leadership team. What are you, um, and what's your leadership team comprised of? What does it look like? Yeah, so we actually, we, we try to have a lot of different voices around the table intentionally, just because again, the, you know, the idea that um, we try to hire people smarter than us and, and, and do what we can to remove roadblocks. Um, the three uh, people on our team who are every day trying to live up to our titles are Greg, myself, and Matt. And, and we know that, that um, we, we've got a lot of work to do to fill the shoes and the titles that we do have. Uh, so it's definitely the three of us. Matt uh, is uh, our, our CTO and Greg, of course, CEO and myself. Um, and then we have uh, representatives from um, our support team uh, sitting there, our product management team, um, marketing, of course, and we do, uh, we follow the Rockefeller habits quite, um, quite closely. So we do like our weekly um, team, like leadership team get together. Um, and then we do quarterly offsite planning sessions with, uh, with a professional coach. So awesome. uh, yeah, so we do have that. And I would say that like, so so that does comprise some of our, our leadership development, but we actually should be probably doing more, especially like from a formal standpoint. Um, we come from varied backgrounds. So um, some of us have, you know, sort of the formal, like the MBA or the, like the business background, but um, other people have, you know, a biology degree, which like <laughs> doesn't necessarily give them some of that formal background. And so there's definitely more that we can do to continue to help our, our leaders level up. And one of the things um, that is a little bit top of mind is around connecting and finding outside mentors for our leaders uh, in our organization so that they've got peers at other companies that they can um, reach out to to help themselves problems that solve the problems that they're facing. Yeah, that's great. That was something that we did a really good job with at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Um, when we got to around 
50 million in revenue, we started to go outside the organization to find formalized mentors. So I was the, the, the chief operating officer and my mentor was being groomed as the COO at Starbucks. Um, our VP of IT, uh, his mentor was the head of IT for Crystal Decisions and Business Objects. Um, you know, our head of our call center was getting mentored by the head of the call center at WestJet. Um, and, and we went out for very, very specific mentors who had really strong um, kind of industry experience, but also were the style of leader that we wanted. And then also in the style of company, you know, you think about Starbucks with the multi-unit operations and great brand and really good people development. And that was a perfect, perfect mentor for me. And he was, you know, 10 years older and his kids were 10 years older. So we mm -hmm. worked really hard to find those mentors. Um, and they all, they were all mentors for free. They weren't paid roles. They were really happy. It was their turn to give back. So it's great that you're doing that. The, um, the other area that we did a really big job on that, that you guys might want to take a look at around, around skill development from the leadership side was from College Pro Painters, where we trained all of our executives there on situational leadership, coaching, training, delegation, meetings, interviewing, email management, time management, hiring, um, problem solving, conflict management. There was a host of about 15 different leadership skills that we trained and certified all of our management team on um, mm -hmm. just to really raise their bar in terms of their ability to run, you know, to run a business and manage a business. Yeah. Yeah. That, that led me to remember, I mean, like the, the only place that we actually have done formal outside training is with um, our interview and our hiring process. And, cool. uh, and that has translated, we use like the top, the top grading top um, yep. process. And that has really uh, contributed to the team that we have today. Uh, but now it's sort of like, now it's level two. Cause now it's like, okay, great. Now we've got these people. Now, how do we coach them? How do we help them develop? How do we handle the situations that come up? And so you're right. That's kind of the next step. Yeah. I'd love to all happy to spend some time with you guys offsite. If you want just to chat briefly about how you can build a viral learning program as well. So that once you've trained your initial group of people, it becomes like a virus and they can train others. Cause the last thing you want to do is every quarter have to bring in the same trainers again to train the whole new, new group of people. Yeah, that would be great. Um, the other one is, is meetings. You know, I, I've been, I guess not really on a rant. I, I wrote a book <laughs> about it, but I wrote, I wrote the book meetings suck just because so many people were complaining about meetings. And I, I realized that no one really has ever been trained on how to attend meetings and how to participate in meetings, let alone how to, how to run them, you know, let alone how to organize them and set up. So um, that can be a really huge skill to train people on internally as well. Just for anyone who's listening on really getting deep into the organization on how to actually you know, run meetings and participate and, and um, show up at them. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, we actually did like an internal training where we had um, one of our team members. She's actually, she's, she's in sort of an operations role, but she's actually just finishing her MBA. And so she put together some training and went sort of team by team. But one of the challenges that we've had is she actually delivered some really great stuff. And I would say that none of it is being actioned. Do you have any tips right. for like, how do you take it from like the classroom knowledge to actual implementation? Well, yeah, it's interesting. So I would actually, and I would, I would leverage Thinkific. And I actually want to talk to you all offline about something that, that could be massive that um, I would even look at partnering with you guys on this, but I'm not going to roll it out over, over this podcast because it, it's <laughs> a huge, huge model. But what I would do is take the content and create the um, create a pretest so you get everyone in the organization to, to know that they don't know this stuff, then train them in it, and then have a post-test to show that they've learned it. That's kind of the core mm. basics. But then after that, six weeks later, have a retention test to see if they remember it. And then six weeks after that, they're allowed to be certified 
in that content to prove that they're actually using it and make certification in these skills part of their way to get promoted and move up in the organization. And kind of without it, they can't move up in the company at all. They can't get a title. They can't get a, a pay raise. So what you end up doing is flipping the model upside down so that people want to be certified in skills so that they can get promoted versus they have to go to another training session. That's fantastic. You should, uh, yeah, we should talk about that. Yeah, I've got, I have, yeah, I'll talk to you offline. <laughs> um, so, so talk to me about the vision of where you're taking the organization and how do you get four co-founders uh, on the same page with vision? Ah, good question. Um, <laughs> the, the very practical answer of that is that one of our co-founders, um, Matt Smith, so Greg's brother, uh, he actually founded another company. So he's not here, invo- he's not involved from the day to day anymore at all. So he founded um, later. Uh, so they do um, like this social media platform for images and, and, and Instagram. And so he's not here. And then uh, it's mostly Greg and I who go head to head and, and battle the, most of the decisions about where we think we want to be going. And, and Matt, our CTO, um, sort of is the one to, to listen and come in with like sort of the wise quip or remind us that we're actually arguing about the same thing. <laughs> but uh, I would say that, you know, passionate debate is, is one of our company values um, for a reason. And I, and I think that one of the things that I love most about working so closely with Greg is that we really bring two different sets of strengths to the table in a way that is really functional. So I would say that um, more often than not, he is sort of like, move fast and get it done. And I'm the one that's like, slow the heck down and do it right. And between the two of us, we (laughs) end up somewhere where it's like a little bit faster than I would maybe be comfortable with, but it's built in a better, more sustainable way than he might have otherwise on his own. And it it puts us in a really good position. So I feel that anytime that we're both involved in a decision, we end up in a really, really healthy place and and often better than we would have individually. That's awesome. I'm I'm like both of you and I'm tormented by both of myself. I feel like (laughs) I have these two alter egos and the the first one is minimum viable everything and then the second is kind of like wait wait you know tighten it up a bit right it's like yeah and i would say that my team says that i'm both as well because i'm also getting a lot of flack right now for like minimum viable minimum viable and i'm the one that's pushing that so I, i i equally can can do both but i know that those are the sort of like the default traits i feel that we fall into now have you done any personality profiles yeah, I'm uh, ENTP. <laughs> We're the same. I'm ENTP. <laughs> there you I go. Was, when I did it about 20 years ago, I was ENTJ and I flipped to ENTP around um, five or six years ago and I didn't trust it. So I did it again two years ago and I was ENTP again. There you go. Yeah. Have you done a Colby profile? No. Check out Colby. Um, and both of, I would have you and Greg both do your Colby A profile. Okay. And it basically, the only thing you really learn from it, well, not the only, but the core thing you learn is how do you start things? Um, and what's amazing about it is I would guess that Greg starts by starting. He'd be called a quick start. It's kind of like ready, fire, aim. Oh, probably. And you I know, start by planning. <laughs> bingo. So you, you start by putting a system in place roughly or, and you might start by asking a few more questions, but my guess is that you visualize it all in your head and then put a rough plan or a checklist or something in place to then start. Um, and that's yep. a really, that's a huge, huge strength of a second in command. Uh, most entrepreneurs are very high quick starts. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that actually describes us, I would say, pretty much to a T. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. We we started a group two years ago called the COO Alliance. And what we recognized was there was a million groups for entrepreneurs. You know, you've got EO and YPO and Gazelles and Mastermind Talks and Genius Network and all these amazing places for entrepreneurs to go learn. And then there's places for lawyers and accountants and marketers, but there was never a mastermind or a group or a network for the second in command. So we started the COO Alliance and all of the COOs that are members are very different personality profiles to the entrepreneur, to the CEO, even if they're Mm -hmm. co-founders. We have um, Sasha, who is the the second in command at um, Unbounce here in Vancouver is a member and his profile completely different from, um, from his CEOs. And then we've got the guy from consumer affairs. They co-started the business together, but very similar to you and Greg, they're, they're kind of amazingly complementary, almost that yin and yang, but totally different personality profiles again. But there's some really big strengths, I think, that come out of that. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you work through, you know, you talk about the healthy debate. Um, I think Jim Collins talked about that, that, or Jim Collins or Pat Lencioni, about that the fear of conflict is a really bad thing in, in um, you know, dysfunctional teams. How do you guys uh, have really good healthy debate and good healthy conflict and not take it personally. What do you What do you personally do, or what does Greg do? I guess both of you to not ever take things personally. Yeah, you know, it's it's. I don't even know if there's any specific thing that either of us are doing. We just Greg and I have always communicated in a way where we can really fiercely, you know, debate and fight for what it is that we believe, and and it, and it's always in the good and interest of the company. And I think that knowing that like we really view each other as partners in this business and, and that neither of us want to move forward with a decision um, unless the other is actually on board. And so the debate is less about my way, no, my way, my way, no, my way. It's about trying to convince and like lay out the reasoning and the thought behind the decisions that we're making. So then we're never ending up in a power struggle about who's right, but we're trying to come to a common consensus about what the best course of action and direction is. And we've just really successfully been able to do that. Why? Like, why do you think you were successful at it? Did you struggle at all? No, (laughs) I would say that we haven't struggled. We've just naturally communicated really well. Um, I would say that uh, at the same time, I definitely haven't had, like, I would say that there definitely are other people on the team that like that communication is not as easy. And so one of the things that I'm trying to do personally, especially when I'm communicating with other people is recognize that um, I can't actually use the same communication style with my, like with our, with my team as I do with Greg, because I know Greg will always stand up and like push back for what he believes in and like getting us to a good place. But sometimes my more like dominating um, <laughs> communication <laughs> style comes across as direction as opposed to like discussion with my team. So if anything, I'm trying to really be cognizant of how I'm communicating with other people. Um, but with mm-hmm. Greg, honestly, we've, we've just naturally that. fallen into that pattern. Yeah, that's great. Now, Thinkific is a really strong um, company culture. How, how, did you, how did you create that? What do you think are the core components for, for you on creating a great company culture? Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I think, like I mentioned, like our, our hiring processes, like we're definitely, we, we work really, really hard to bring on um, A players who are just really good 
historically at, at what they do, but also that we think are going to be a good culture fit. And culture fit for us means, uh, you know, adherence to values. We want people that have really demonstrated their ability to learn and grow, to work really well with other people, to not be afraid to debate for what they want. But also, um, we're kind of like a no bullshit sort of environment. We, uh, we utilize radical candor. We have open and frank and honest discussions. Um, if there's something that's like not working or even like the hint that something's not working, we just like lay it out on the table and we talk about it because I think the worst thing that you can do is, um, is not address things when they're, when they're not working. Um, and we also, you know, we're, we're not afraid to admit that, um, that we've made mistakes or, and, and that sometimes we need to change what we've done either in terms of like a system or a process and being open to change, but also sometimes we make a mistake when it comes to hiring. And so um, we're not afraid to, um, to let somebody go as well. Like hopefully that happens sooner than later. And that's really on us to figure out early on if somebody is really a good fit or not, but it doesn't help the team to keep somebody around. That's actually um, causing friction. For sure. Yeah. How, and then, how, and retreats. We do a lot of, you know, we, we also recognize that you kind of have to couple working hard with playing hard. So we actually just got back from um, our retreat this past weekend. We had the team um, offsite uh, for the weekend. So we, we try to have a lot of fun as well. Where do you host your retreats and how do they, how do they set up? Yeah. So this one we were at actually at Gambier Island. It's just a little island um, off of Vancouver here. And so we were at like a like a summer camp. Um, so bunk beds and, and, uh, you know, dining hall kind of situation with, <laughs> and we in the past have done some like where we do like a little bit of work and then a little bit of play. And we Was recognize this the whole company. Yeah. The whole company. Sweet. That's yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So, and really, and we were just there, we were there for two days. Like there was, there was archery, there was kayaking, there was a lot of, you know, um, there were great dance parties at night and uh, really just two days in the wilderness um, to relax and unwind as a team with no formal agenda of like, go do a team bonding experience or something. It was really just like, let's just go hang out and, and not talk about work. That's really cool. I mean, that that's company culture for sure. Now, what percentage of your employees went? Um, I, I actually don't know. This was the first time that we've done a retreat that I didn't do like all the planning and the logistics. It was kind of great. Um, <laughs> I think that the, like there was a handful of people that um, were, were literally like out of town. Everybody yeah. that was in town, they either came for the whole thing or they came up for the day, I think on Saturday. I don't know that anybody was in town and didn't have like, there was like a few like weddings or like things like that where people literally couldn't come, but otherwise it was everybody. And you didn't exactly choose an easy location to get to either. Gambier is not like a, you know, just drive your car around. Yeah, the no, you got it. Uh, the boat is important because as soon as like, if somebody can just drive their car, it's easier to like not yeah. be in, right? Cause then it's yeah. like, Oh, I'll just come up for a bit and then I'll go home to my dog yeah. or my babysitter or whatever. But the boat is actually really valuable because it, instantly puts people into vacation mode um, oh. without having to like put them on a plane to get there. Totally. No, it's, it's amazing that you guys did that. Um, so talk to me about your firing process when you, when, you know, inevitably every company has to fire someone. Do you have a system in place to fire people and, and how do you do it? Yeah, we do. And I, and that's actually one of the things that we're doing a better job of, of formalizing. And so, um, the, I mean, the biggest thing there is like the recognition that if we're letting somebody go, like the, the ultimate 
blame for that decision is almost certainly us and that there's been um, either an error originally with who we hired or how we communicated about the role or the objectives or something along the way has broken down and and um, you know definitely try to take ownership there the biggest thing for us is just having the map we call it the map which is basically like okay so something's not working so now um, we're on the map and the map is the conversation of like, hey, this thing isn't working. Let's talk about why it's not working or if there's something else that you need or that I can help you with and let's build a strategy for getting it back um, on track and uh, let's check back in in three days a week or whatever the appropriate timeline is and uh, continuing to do that to first and foremost try to help the person address and correct whatever it is that's not working um, with the sole goal of getting them, you know, back to or to the place where they're actually able to perform. But if we go through the process repeatedly where um, we've identified that something's not working, we've talked about and put in place systems and, and plans to help correct that situation, uh, and we keep falling down the same trap, and it's not a situation where it's actually like there's just another job that would be better or like it makes more sense to, to change the role, um, then ultimately we just make the decision that, uh, that we need to part ways and we do that. We try to do that uh, sooner rather than later for their benefit so that they can go and find a role that actually really is a good fit for them and also for the benefit of the team because inevitably um, it impacts the other people on the team when there's somebody that's not pulling their weight or that things aren't working. Yeah, it's perfect. And, and do you do the same on the cultural side if they're just, you know, the wrong cultural fit, even though they might be performing well on the results side? Yeah, we, we have done that as well. And it's, at, and, uh, yes. So one of the things that we're quite intrigued by, um, a little bit in that regard is the, like buffer has, a really good um, system around their probation, like their three-month probation, where it's not just like your first three months are on probation, then you're part of the team, but it's um, your th first three months are actually more of like an extended evaluation to determine whether or not you're then invited to join the team. And so that's kind of intriguing to us because we would like to make it even a little bit more of a big deal to sort of graduate from the probation to full-time uh, regular member of the team in part so that we can give more uh, attention to what that culture piece looks like and not just are they getting the work done, but um, are they playing well with others and are they a culture ad? So it's not just about like, do you fit in and do you look like everybody else here? But it's like, are we a better team because you're here? Yeah. And don't just don't compromise your interviewing process because you're doing a great job with top grading right now. I hate to see companies that almost cheapen their interview process by allowing people to, you know, be interviewed in their first 90 days on the job. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, that's but, fair. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, but I do like the whole onboarding process of just, you know, awarding them the position on the team or, or, you know, formally making them part of the team. So tell me, tell me a little bit about what's working. Um, I'm going to go back to meetings quickly because because of my book meetings. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about what you have put in place at Thinkific that make your meetings run successfully. Yeah, I would say that we're we're trying to make our meetings run more <laughs> successfully. A couple of the things that have worked really well so far, like the no agenda, no attenda. You know, so <laughs> that's like, for me. You know, uh, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, so that that's great. Thank you. Um, and uh, that's one. Uh, also shortening meetings. So I wrote an article the other day about time management. And one of the things in there um, 
is the idea that meetings expand to the amount of time that you give them. So let's not book hour-long meetings when a 25-minute meeting will do um, and trying to push people to, uh, to do shorter meetings. And like you can always extend a meeting, but inevitably like you, it, you know, it's harder to, to end it early sometimes. So yeah. um, trying to do that. And um, the other thing trying to do is like also to sort of like to stack them. Like it's hard to have meetings every day spread out. I've got one in the morning and three in the afternoon every single day because then you don't get any heads time, down time at all. And that's especially terrible for some of our individual contributors. So trying to do a better job of having like no meeting days or stacking all like the review updates or whatever it is uh, on the same day so that we can also honor the non-meeting times. Totally. Yeah, it's huge when you actually kind of, you build out your meeting rhythms and cascade them and just keep those same rhythms all the time and then work around those. They're, they're kind of your big rocks in your calendar, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I love that, that you're trying to do the meetings in a shorter amount of time as well. I always say to book, book your meetings for half the time you first think about booking them for. So if it's, let's get together for an hour, you book it for half an hour, or why don't we plan an all day meeting? Book it for half because you'll get it done. I always say, kind of, I, I say it's like a quickie. You know, you can get it done in less time <laughs> if you need to, right? Absolutely. With kids, you just got to kind of fit it in once in a while. So you just... <laughs> Um, but, but without that, people just drag everything on and on and it's just, you're not getting anything covered. Give us a one final big tip. If you've got something, um, you know, for someone starting off in the COO role, cause a lot of people move in their careers and they end up in this operational COO role. Maybe they're the head of finance and now operations as well, or they're the head of marketing and now they take on operations. If you're going to be moving into a COO role, what would your, your biggest part of advice be for anyone? Oh, yeah, good question. I think that one of the biggest things that I'm constantly trying to remind myself, especially coming from that, because I also am quite an effective individual contributor and in the context of growing this company from a very small company is, you know, the idea that if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. And so it's not just about coming up with what you think is the best plan and like bulldozing through, but taking the time to build the scalable processes and systems. And you do that by talking to other people and engaging the people that are actually participating in those activities and helping them to do their best work so that you can go far as a team and that you're doing everything that you can to not insert yourself as a bottleneck uh, in that process. So it's about empowering the other people on the team and making the connections and to, in order to build those scalable processes. That's awesome. Thank you. Miranda, Where you, you guys are based in Vancouver. Whereabouts are you? Gastown? Yeah, we actually just moved. We were in Railtown, and we just took over a space. We're at 369 Terminal, so just by oh, like nice. the main street SkyTrain station. Awesome. I am going to come down and visit you guys because I have a feeling like you've got a pretty great corporate culture too. Is your office ready for a mini tour? Our office is ready for a mini tour. We'd love to have you come by. <laughs> All right. I'll make that happen. Miranda um, Levers, the COO for Thinkific. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time today. and look forward to um, finally meeting you in person and getting down to see your offices too. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Thank, thank you. You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry-leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.